You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So there's tools you can take right now that's going to help you cope with anxiety, with anything negative that happens to you, and you can apply them in your life right away. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Grand Podcast. I'm Oshos Mahaley, and I am thrilled to chat with you guys today about one of my most passionate topics, emotional intelligence. And I'm going to give you tools that all you have to do is dedicate three minutes per day to, and you are going to be a more skillful leader, a calmer individual, and someone who can stay in control no matter what situation arises. So make sure to share this with a friend. Don't gatekeep these secrets because you are helping your entire environment leveling up by sending them this Grow or Die podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube, leave us a thumbs up, share with me in the comments what you think. Get ready, you guys. I'll see you inside. The attribute that so many people believe that they have, but they're actually missing the mark terribly and lacking heavily. Let's talk about it. People who are emotionally intelligent, they embrace change. They have a strong sense of self-awareness. And this is one of the main drivers for me. Self-awareness. When you're at the airport and you're walking and you have to stop to check for the gate number, do you stop in the middle of the walkway or do you find yourself moving to the side out of everybody's way so that you aren't causing traffic, causing a backup, um, risk being trampled by the hundreds of people that are briskly walking behind you? It's also a driving quality thing. You can't really be a good driver if you're highly emotionally intelligent, or I'm sorry, you can't necessarily be a bad driver if you're highly emotionally intelligent because you're going to have extreme self-awareness of what's going on around you, the proximity of you to other vehicles or objects or whatever the case may be. People show empathy towards others when they're highly emotionally intelligent. They have balanced lives. They're not always in these extremes of hot and cold they kind of ride the midline. They're curious, eager to learn, grateful. They express themselves assertively without remorse, unapologetic, if you will. But they're always receptive to feedback. So Daniel Goleman popularized the term emotional intelligence in 1995. It's still a rather new discovery for us. And um, this was 28 years ago. His book was titled Emotional Intelligence. His framework breaks emotional intelligence into five core components. Number one, self-awareness. Understanding your emotions, your strengths, weaknesses, values, motives. Number two, self-regulation. Managing emotions effectively. Impulse control, integrity, conscientiousness, adaptability. Thought in responding versus just reacting emotionally. Motivation, your drive, your persistence towards your goals. It includes achievement orientation, commitment, initiative, optimism that fuels perseverance. Empathy is number four. Recognizing and understanding others' emotions. Leveraging diverse perspectives. 
cultivating others' development, political and social awareness. That one nowadays is a little bit more pushed away from the emotional intelligence, but in 1995, it was a big deal. Social skills is number five. Managing relationships well. Influence, communication, conflict management, collaboration, team capabilities. Goldman argues that these competencies are more important for leaders than IQ, which is intellectual intelligence, of course, or technicalities or expertise. Emotional intelligence is more important than the skills that it takes to run your job. Being someone who has been a leader of so many incredibly talented individuals, I would attest to that as well. There's so many skillful people that I have had the pleasure of interacting with and knowing. Some of them never quite reached the metric of success that I had for them due to the fact that those skills could only get you so far. At some point, you have to have high emotional intelligence and they weren't really working on theirs. It held them back. It kept them from achieving financial ability that they had the skill set to achieve. But they put so much work into the technicalities and so little work into the self-awareness, self-regulation, the social skills that the skill set just didn't really work. They didn't have anyone to really show it off to. Developing emotional intelligence through mindfulness, communication skills, regulating stress, cultivating intrinsic motivation for continuous improvement. This is the most important variable I look for when I am seeking out someone that I want to work with, that I want to bring on to one of my companies to work with me. Now, there's a test that you can do to understand how emotionally intelligent you are. There's a test called an EQI 2.0, and you get a detailed readout of strengths and growth areas. It's one of the most scientifically validated assessments for emotional intelligence. It was developed uh, based on decades and decades of EQ research since this thought has come out. It includes 133 questions that evaluate EQ scores across five domains. Number one, self-perception, your ability to understand your own emotions. Number two, self-expression, your ability to express emotions effectively. Interpersonal, your ability to develop healthy relationships, decision-making, your ability to use emotions in decision-making, and stress management, which uh, includes impulse control, but I think we all know what stress management is at this point. You're going to answer 133 questions. I did this, and I'll share my results with you here in just a bit. All based off of these core skills. At the end, you receive a snapshot of strengths, weaknesses, growth areas, yada, yada. But the coolest part was recommendations for developing each subscale. The personalized insights slide to target which EQ capabilities to develop further. I am going to encourage all employees of all companies I'm affiliated with to do one of these as I did mine two days ago when I was coming up with the layout that I wanted to do for this podcast. So my top three, number one, assertiveness, number two, self-actualization, number three, optimism. 
I agree very heavily with all of those. It rates you 1 to 133 on each of these things. So there's 133 questions, and then your rating scale is also 133. On all of those, I was over 125, so considered very strong. And in assertiveness and self-actualization, I was at 130 and 131. So very, very assertive. (laughs) Apparently very self-actualized as well. My bottom three. It's a little bit embarrassing. Independence, 72. Flexibility, 69. And impulse control, 66. That's really bad. Those are really bad ratings. Independence was interesting for me. My a little bit of alone time goes an extremely long ways for me. Every day I have time with friends, multiple friends. I'm working in coffee shops. I'm always kind of surrounded by people. I'm always kind of somewhat stimulated. Flexibility was an interesting one for me. And what that means is essentially how are you able to match someone where they're at on an empathetic level? So I can be empathetic and give empathy and understand empathy. I'm very weak at matching empathy. So for example, and I know this, if an athlete sends me a message and they're sad in the message, I do not get sad whatsoever. I'm going to respond because I understand. I'm going to show support but it does not leave the chat with me. I think that's something that you might view as a strength. I think as a leader, it could very much so be a weakness. But I feel like after so many years of, for example, I mean, this year out of my athletes, I've probably had 10 to 15 people come to me saying like a parent died or someone really close to them passed away. That is extremely, that is awful. That sucks really bad. The reality is when you work with a lot of people, these things happen consistently. So it's like when you become a police officer and you show up to a crime scene where a homicide just happened, the first time you show up there, you're going to really feel it and it's going to be intense. The 100th time you show up there, you're a little bit more numb to it. And it just doesn't quite hit as deep. That's essentially what this reading is suggesting. And it's one I very much so agree with. Impulse control, that was a very difficult one for me to sit with because it's very true. I definitely, I call it spontaneous and I act like it's a good thing, but I'm just a very spontaneous individual. There's so many places in life I have this direct plan and this distinct plan that I'm continually following that I feel like in other areas, I just am so go with the flow that it's nearly a flaw. What Justin wants to do, Justin is going to do regardless of what anyone else wants to do. Justin's doing what Justin wants to do. It gave me some good breakdowns and things I can do to work on each of those. And it's only been two days. If I'm being honest, my workload's been very high the last two days, 
But after this podcast, I have one hour dedicated to creating a plan based on what the EQI 2.0 report gave me, where I will be able to incorporate daily 10-minute segments focusing on each of these things. So I'm very excited to do that. I would love to keep you guys updated on how they go. Now, if you're not sick of hearing me talk about meditation, don't click out of the podcast here just yet. Because there is a direct correlation between emotional intelligence and your ability to meditate. And this is interesting to me because I remember when I started meditating the first dozens of times, and I discussed this in the podcast with Lauren Conlon as well, it was so difficult. It was so challenging to just stop what you're doing, force your brain to settle down, force yourself to just be free and allow your brain to work through things that are coming to it. Yeah, that's a sign of low emotional intelligence when you're not able to do that. These go hand in hand and you can practice your emotional intelligence daily and you can increase it daily by simply getting more proficient at getting into a meditative state. So mindfulness meditation involves non-judgmental awareness of present moment experiences. There was a meta analysis, which is the most rock solid form of science by Lomas et al, which examined 206 studies on meditation and emotional intelligence. They found that mindfulness meditation boosted several core EQ competencies. Those are emotional intelligence competencies, self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy. Every single time you meditate, those three improve. Every single time. Research suggests mindfulness calms the amygdala, reduces emotional hijacking, and improves discernment. Anyone who knows me knows I hate someone who lacks discernment. And when I have that myself, I can't stand it. Regular meditators also show thicker prefrontal cortexes. This is a side of emotional regulation and higher reasoning, which means this is more developed. So you have greater emotional reasoning and or uh, emotional regulation and higher reasoning due to simply just meditating regularly. Studies show meditation can help individuals identify, understand, reframe emotional states as they arise together. This strengthens our inner stability, our intentionality, our wisdom, which are key components of emotional intelligence. All of you can think right now about someone you know who is truly wise. You love when they speak. You love talking to them. You love getting a little bit more out of them. Wisdom is something that you can achieve much earlier than 80 years old, right? 80 years old, well, of course you're emotionally intelligent. You've been through so much. Can we get to that point sooner in life? Because if you ask any of those individuals, if you have these tools at 30, how would that have changed your life? And they would know without a shadow of doubt that that would have set their life up to be something completely different than it actually was. So there's substantial evidence that supports mindfulness meditation as an impactful practice for developing core emotional intelligence competencies. The self-awareness it cultivates radiates outward into all other components. Now, there's one more thing I want to tell you guys about because the Navy SEALs do this. It's called box breathing. And I had a great friend of mine, Megan Davis, who has given me some breathing techniques. She gave me some for when I feel upset, angry, anxious, some for when I feel happy to continue 
journaling along that path. Box breathing is a structured breathing technique used by the Navy SEALs, police officers, and elite athletes in response to a stress where they need to calm themselves so they can react appropriately. It's a repeated pattern of breathing in, holding, exhaling, pausing before repeating. So to do it, we're going to do it here in a second. You're going to sit comfortably with your eyes closed. You're going to breathe in slowly through your nose for a four count. You're going to hold your breath for four seconds. Hold it gently. Not anything where we're locking our body up. We're holding it gently. We're going to exhale steadily through your mouth for four seconds. You're going to pause for four seconds, and then you're going to inhale again. Ready to try it out? Let's start. Four seconds in. We're going to hold it for four seconds. We're going to exhale for four seconds, and we're going to pause for four seconds. Feels good just doing it one time. So imagine doing that for two or three minutes at a time. Four, 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 four. You're going to repeat for several minutes while focusing only on the breath. The defied counts create a rhythmic square breathing pattern. That's why it's called the box breathing pattern. This activates the parasympathetic nervous system. It signals to the body to relax. If you did that practice with me, if you exhaled through your mouth, if you held it, if you paused, you notice after just one breath that you were more relaxed than you were before. Slow, measured breathing counters your heart racing, counters your mind spinning out, so you are able to maintain physiological control through simply activating our psychological response. Regular practice trains your body to tap into calm on demand, and this builds extreme resilience against stress and anxiety. So there's tools you can take right now that's going to help you cope with anxiety, with anything negative that happens to you, and you can apply them in your life right away. So what we're going to do is we're going to practice these box breathing in your phone, in your calendar, in a place that's going to hold you accountable daily. You're going to do it for two or three minutes every day. That's all I'm asking for. Because within this, you guys, we're killing two birds with one stone. We're teaching ourselves how to calm on demand whenever rough situations arise. Yet we are also practicing mindfulness meditation in the same time. If you simply give two to three minutes to box breathing every single day and you truly give it exactly as I outlined, you are going to improve your emotional intelligence over time. And you guys, if you don't want that to happen, then why are you even here in the first place? As always, I hope this helps. I'll see you guys next time. 